Our scripture reading for today is from 1 Peter 3, 18-22. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. At the very beginning, it, it talks about Christ suffered for our sins. So in verses 18 and 19, uh, focusing on that part, is Christ suffering for our sins. Most of us always go back to, yeah, he suffered on the cross. And then we move on from that. But yet we don't want to take a moment and think, what did the cross actually accomplish there? What was actually that suffering that was happening? We don't want to take too light of that and move forward for, from it, because then we could lose the effect of what that was. It's much like when you open a present, you're like, mm, okay, thanks. And yet you don't realize that gift that was given and the purpose that it could have. Uh, and so for this, we want to focus on Christ. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. And there are so many different ways we could take that. And we want to personalize it and those types of things. But we need to focus on that last part, the righteous for the unrighteous. So even though we suffer, we do not suffer for the sins of others, nor does suffering constitute sacrifice for the sins of others, the righteous for the unrighteous. We are unrighteous people. We are not right before God. We have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's nothing I could do to change that. There's nothing I could do to another unrighteous person that would change that either. So I need to remember that it's that part of the righteous for the unrighteous. Christ, who was righteous, suffered for our sins, which we deserve the penalty of, so that we might be made right before God. That's what we need to remember when we're looking at this, is that Christ suffered for our sins. It's totally different. We want to break it down and go like, yeah, God's our homie. <laughs> no, what he did is totally different. When we look at our own suffering and our own things that we go through, we need to see what Christ went through was so much different. When we view whatever is the difficult situation we're dealing with, whether it be from a boss, a spouse, a kid, uh, some student I teach or something like that, that is nothing compared to what Christ did on the cross. And so we need to make sure that we remember that when Christ suffered for our sins, he suffered in a way that he didn't have to. God did it. God did it to display his kindness, his grace towards us, his unmerited favor on us, so that we might be brought to God. So this righteous person suffers for the unrighteous that we could be brought to God. So Christ's victory reminds believers that the troubles of the present time are temporary. And so if we break down what we're really looking at, what we're really calling our suffering I think sometimes we need to do one of those comparison contrast things. And as a teacher, they want us to always use like diagrams and Venn diagram. Let me just tell you, that is old school, but it's what most people know nowadays. So if you put your suffering on one side, whatever you're going through, and you put what Christ suffered for on the other side, 
you'll notice those things in the middle that they share in common are very few. It's really us trying to sit there with our, let, let's face it, our little suffering and trying to measure up to what Christ did on the cross. See, if we look at Christ's example on the cross of suffering, his is that much more. And so these people that Peter is writing to, they're going through some suffering. They're going through some ridicule, some torment, and things like that. But when it comes to the cross, what Christ did, they could say, well, I'm I might die on the cross. I might be killed for my faith or something like that. Yes, but you're also the unrighteous. Christ didn't deserve what happened to him. And so we need to remember those things. But also being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Christ was raised from the dead and proclaimed victory over demonic spirits. And so that's another thing we need to, to think about. So many times when we're going through difficult situations, do we realize that being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, do we see that pathway also in our own lives, those of us that have accepted the gospel? Those of us that don't know the gospel, you're thinking I'm talking gibberish. But what really happened here when Christ died on the cross for our sins and we put our faith in him is that we now have God's grace at work in us so that we can overcome these struggles. If we remember James 1, if any of you likes wisdom, let him ask God and he'll give generously what we need to do without reproach because he gives generously for those who asked of him. And so we need to remember when we're going through those situations, the example that Christ did and what Christ gave us victory over being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. So many times when we go through situations, do we remember this pathway? Or do we sit there and we get stuck? So many times when I'm going through a difficult situation, yeah, it's easy to get so narrow-minded, narrow-focused, I can only see this. And that's why it's very important to do one of those habits that we talk about so often, is be in God's Word regularly. It's so that we can be reminded of these things so that our vision isn't so narrow-focused. It's more looking at the long run. Because if we're going to understand this pathway uh, to Christ's exaltation, we need to also look at the long term for us too. For if we become short-sighted, we can get so much thrown a pity party. I mean, how many times have you been around those people that are just very negative, and it seems like they always got something they're whining about? I guarantee they're not a person looking at what's coming in the long run. My biggest problem isn't necessarily my job and the paycheck I bring home. My biggest problem is not this student that keeps coming in being rude to me every single day. My biggest problem isn't that my car was having issues and we're looking at taking it on a trip, leaving on Tuesday, and it was a speed sensor, and then it was this, and we thought it was fixed, and then it wasn't, so they had to look at it. And that's not my biggest problem. My biggest problem is what's going to happen in the long run with me. Because if I don't have that, all this other stuff, yeah, those are my problems and so much more. So we need to make sure we remember these things, remember this pathway that Christ gave us the victory over those things, and he put those things to death. That's why so many times when we're going through difficult situations, we need to stop and pray and think about it. What are these truths from God's Scripture? That's why so many times we want to memorize it so we can have something there in our head to immediately counteract our own sinful-type response. 
I mean, some of you, you you're attuned to this a little bit more, and other people, you're, you might start catching a glimpse of this, but you do realize there's two different things at war within us, our flesh and our now regenerate spirit that God has put within us. And so on one side, when you're facing that struggle, you want to focus here on, not me, but yourself, and how it makes you feel, and how this isn't your perspective of your best life now. Or this isn't what heaven should be like. Well, you're not there, duh. And then we get so self-focused on this problem that we're not realizing, oh, Christ suffered too. Christ's suffering had a meaning. It had a purpose. Where did Christ get his strength when he suffered? Where did Christ find his reason to even go on? Why did Christ, when he was arrested, just go, no, Peter, let's put this ear back on. It's okay. This is basically what my Father has for me, if you understand what's going on. And so Jesus is at peace with it. He knows he's going to suffer. He's already prayed a prayer. And we've talked about this recently at Refuge. That's why I'm hitting on it so much. Uh, But Christ had that goal in mind. And so if we look at this pathway to exaltation, we can find great encouragement instead of just loathing and self-pity. We could find great encouragement and strength to move forward. That very same strength and encouragement that Christ relied on is a pathway for us too. And so in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. In prison. Now, in this, there's several different ways that people can interpret this. And if you look at some of the hermeneutical things, uh, some of those just don't make sense. Because some people would say that it was, oh, it was when Christ died on the cross, he went down uh, to hell and preached to the people of the Old Testament that had passed away for them to put their faith in Christ. To which, if you look at some of the hermeneutical and the Greek language there, that is not what he's hinting at here. And so it has gone over throughout the centuries of different interpretations for it. And majority of scholars today say that the text describes Christ's proclamation of victory and judgment over evil angels. So once again, this goes back to previously in the end of 18, we're being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. He's going down and proclaiming to the spirits in prison. So if we remember those spirits that are down there, why are they down there? Because just like Satan, they decided, you know what? We're gonna, we can overthrow God and we can be the ones in power. And Christ is going down to proclaim to them, nope, even I have authority over you. Not Dave, but Christ has authority over him. Don't get those things wrong. I'm not that strong. Uh, so he's proclaiming victory and judgment over those angels. And if we look back, he's talking about later about the time of Noah. And so this verse also bounces off of that one too, is if you look back in uh, Genesis 6, I think it was 1 through 4, it was talking about, if you look through there, angels were having wrong relationships with people. And so they were doing bad things too. So that was part of what is going on there too. Uh, But when Christ went, he traveled the pathway from suffering to glory. And suffering is not a sign of divine displeasure. Those who suffer for Christ will glorify it as he was. That's why there's so much adherence to this perseverance of the saints. Because if Christ persevered in suffering, then so shall we. So many people will buy into this, 
you can lose your faith and then you can re regenerate and you can come back to God. To me, everybody goes through times when they struggle. To me, if God's been present, he's not withdrawing. And so that's just a brief summary of my own perspective on perseverance of the saints and why I hold to it. But that's what it's kind of getting at here is crisis put to death these things, so it should be, uh, yeah, for all time. And so those people that have put their faith truly in God will persevere. Do we have times where we're going to struggle and it's not going to come out quite right? Sure, we're not perfect. But what do we do when that happens? Do we just say, to error is human, everybody messes up? Or do we sit there and say, I'm sorry? Do you forgive me? Do we pursue that reconciliation? So when we're looking at how we approach suffering, do we see Christ's example as persevering to the end? And what effect that had? Or do we just sit there and wellow because we're too focused on ourselves? If Christ was focused on ourselves, would we have any chance in our own suffering? Would we have any reassurance in our suffering? So if suffering is a pathway to glory, then we should not find it so much that it drives us into a deep depressive state. There was a time when I moved here to Ohio with my uh, best friend so he could plant Refuge City Church. I was a teacher down in North Carolina, even though, and the only reason I came back with him is I'm from this area and I knew about Dayton and that it needed a gospel-centered church. And so I was in North Carolina had six years of teaching. I was on the verge of tenure and uh, gave all that up so I could come up here and live in my parents' house. Out of boxes, out of plastic little drawers. And it was supposed to be temporary, but I never made enough to be able to afford a place for me to stay uh, and still afford my place down in Charlotte that didn't sell before I left, so I had renters in there. And so it was a very difficult time for me. I met my wife uh, and we got engaged, got married, and people threw all kinds of insults and judgments upon me because I was a single dude living in my parents' house, didn't have a place of my own that I was living in, and when we got married, I didn't have a job. And so it's very easy in those instances to get focused right here on why are they doing these things, why are they judging me this way like they even know me. And then trying to then combat that. So many times we get at that war with words and just try to say, oh yeah, you want to see who I really am? Yeah, you're going to show them how sinful you are. And so in that state, and just so you know, the reason I didn't work is for a year we decided that because the kids were 8 and 11, and they needed to know, have that trust relationship with the father before they got in those teenage years, if you know what I'm talking about. And so it was a decision we made as a couple. And then I went into substitute teaching. It took me a while to get my teaching license. Had to take that test three different times for, for professional knowledge. I don't know if Greg had to take that one yet. Yeah, that one stunk, didn't it? it? It was the worst test I've ever had to take in my life. Took it three times. Missed it by one point the second time, and you have to wait two months to take it again. And so you can get so focused on what's happening with yourself and just wellow in it and, and just marinate on that for a while, while. But is that the kind of marinade you really want sinking in? See, in those instances, I knew who I was. I knew what I was doing. I knew what God was doing. I knew the decisions that I had made with, or with my spouse or that I had made even before I got married. And I was at peace and I was fine with them. Even though people would make judgments about my character, I was like, well, could they make that character on what, judgment on what they know about me? Sure. 
but we'll see what happens. And it took being in Dayton for over four years to finally get back to the exact same pay I had when I left. But I still don't have some of the same benefits I had. So some people could still sit there and wallow in that, well, I don't have it, and oh, God, I gave this up so I could come do this for you. Where's that focused? Or instead of focusing on those self-pity things, we could focus on what God is doing. Has God planted a church in downtown? Yes, it has. has is it having an impact on its neighborhood? Yes, it is. So all these little things I'm going, going through or went through, do they really matter? In a sense that would drive me towards a depressive state. Or do they matter in a sense that should grab me to rejoice in those things? That God counted me able to go through those things for his sake so that his name may be known more. It makes no sense that someone would be joyful in, in various situations that we go through. But it's what people see and how we respond that tells them whether this relationship we have with Christ really matters or not. If they see no difference, then they don't see the gospel for what it is. They just see it as a, us as another person that's just focused on themselves and their best life now. Instead of focusing on God's glory coming out. How can I display that my greatest displeasure, my greatest struggle is not in circumstances. It's in my relationship with God. It's how I'm living my life to display His glory. It's not in how much sleep I might have gotten the previous night. It's in, okay, what am I going to do now? Sure, I might have had four hours of sleep, and then I wake up. Well, I can choose to be a grumpy old biddy the whole day and whine about how little sleep I got, or I can do the best I got with what I did. It happens. And so believers should not become intimidated in suffering, but continue to sanctify Christ as Lord because the suffering of Christ was also the means by which he was exalted. So if we focus just so much on our own, we could forget what its God-intended purpose is. We can forget this pathway that Christ laid out for us. And so much of this hinges on get out of thinking of just yourself. When we are so me-focused, I guarantee that's when you have your most problems. When you're in those situations and you're just trying to get your agenda forward, I guarantee it's going to get a little bit rougher. There's no one going, oh, yes, we'll all follow you. It's not going to happen. Christ laid down his life. And so we need to look also that Christ moves from, removes the filth of sin. So as we look at verse 20, because they formerly did not obey God when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Christ. So we focus all on, again, in this passage, is Christ's victory over the angelic powers. So all these things going on is Christ died for these things. Christ removed the filth of the sin. So these angelic things at work don't have that same negative impact on us. If we look at the days of Jesus, some of you will be like, where are you getting this? Look at the days of Jesus. Jesus did what? Removed demons, didn't he? Christ cast them out. That was going on. And these power that the angelic, evil angelic powers have, Christ put those to death. 
So I don't need to fear some demon coming in and possessing me because Christ put that to death. It can't happen. He's keeping that from happening. God is keeping that from happening. So the way God rescues the righteous is by destroying their enemies. So if we look at the story of Noah, some of us will forget the timeline because it happens basically in like two chapters. He's told to build an ark, he builds it, the water's come. So we need to remember that was a pretty large time frame, wasn't it? That was a hundred years that it took him to build that. And the whole time from when he told Noah to build this ark to the time those waters came, God is enduring seeing all this sin from the people around him. But not only is God enduring seeing this, Noah is seeing this too, the ridicule and things like that. Now, I'm not talking about the movie version uh, where we've seen Noah getting ridiculed and stuff like that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what was really happening, not some Hollywood interpretation of it. So all these people ridiculing him for building a boat. Yeah, right. There's no rain coming. And all those types of talk. And so we see Noah persevering and trusting in God. So he, he is referring to this and God's patience while this sin is happening all around. Some of us go, God, come on. Your son said he was coming again. Can you just go on ahead and put away with this? Can we go on ahead and be done with this sinful world and make your new one? But yet we don't see God's patience in letting things endure. So if we look at back at the example of Noah, is this sin is happening all around him. And God's watching it happen and is letting it happen. Why? So that one, Noah's still building an ark. And two, so that people, well, they have a chance to hear what's about to happen. So if we look at this, these things and the sin that's around us, we can get so short-sighted on, can we just be done with it? Instead of a, this is an opportunity to share our faith, to share the gospel with the people around us. And God is having patience with this sin that he's seeing for us to go forth and share this gospel with others. He sent his son, and his son endured this filth of sin so that it could be washed away so that we could put our hope in the resurrected Savior. And so God rescues the righteous by destroying their enemies. If God persevered Noah when he stood in opposition of the world, he will also save his people, even though they are now being persecuted. So it goes back to, do we have a similar faith that Noah had, but then we see it even greater exemplified in Christ? What faith would that have taken to be arrested for being wrongfully accused of stuff? People not fully understanding what you're saying when you're saying you are God's son. You're not lying about that. That is real. But they don't want to believe that you are who you say you are. And so you're going to be put to death for these things. And you're still willing to do it. Why? Because he has faith in what his father will accomplish in his death. So we have that choice. Do we go over to the, this side over here where we lack the faith to endure it? Or do we find the same faith and strength to endure it just like Noah and then greater exemplified in Christ? And as we think through this, uh, we need to remember what happened, uh, what is the symbolism with baptism? Believers survive the death-dealing baptismal waters because they are baptized with Christ. They are rescued from death through the resurrection. Now, if we think about that, those words, death, dealing, baptismal waters, could stand out to us. But if we think about it, those 
death dealing is our sin. Our sin, if we were to bring that to God as is, we're not going to be found right with him. We're going to be found unrighteous. We're not going to be able to walk in. We're going to be deserving the penalty of hell. And the only reason that we deserve any different is because of Christ's death on the cross. And so his death on the cross washes away our sin so that now we can stand before God. So that death dealing uh, predicament that we were in is no longer there because as the symbolism of baptism, it's been washed away. We need to remember Romans 6. Romans 6, 3 through 5 says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, by, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been unified with him in his death like this, we shall certainly be unified with him in a resurrection like his. We need to remember what baptism actually meant. When we put our faith in Christ, personal, and then we're baptized so everybody knows I'm now a follower of Christ, what did that mean? So as, as Christ did these things, do we really accept that Christ removed the filth of sin from us and gives us a means by which we can get strength to overcome that suffering, that those difficult situations we're going through. Sorry, I think I'm the preacher that sweats the most among us six. It happens. But then we also need to remember Colossians 2, 12, uh, where having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith, in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Do we realize what happened there? Do we see Christ giving us the pathway for us to follow? Yes, Christ died on the cross. He was able to endure the cross. He's God's son. Yup. That's why he can do it. He can have such great faith. You're once again just trying to make it a you thing if you're thinking those things. Christ died on the cross for our sins so that we at least have a chance at even starting this pathway. If Christ didn't die on the cross for our sins, what chance do we have of walking this pathway to the exaltation, to God's glory? Sometimes it helps if you get the focus off of yourself and on what Scripture is telling you. So many times you'll, I'll talk with people about, that are going through difficult situations. They'll go, yeah, I tried reading the Bible. It's got nothing in there for me. But what part did you read? And you'll find out that some people that are so over here in the wellowing, the self-pity and the stuff like that, it's they don't know how to walk this pathway. Either they haven't put their faith in Christ fully, you know, they're kind of wishy-washy about that. Well, I don't feel like I can trust God because this didn't go my way or that didn't go my way. Well, who said you wrote the plan for eternity, you know? God wrote it. He kind of saw it. And, and so, so many times people will struggle through those things, one, because they haven't fully put their faith in Christ, or... They put their faith in Christ, but you just you still struggle with it. You don't know how to reassure yourself. And so it's, that's why it's helpful to get in the Word, read it regularly, study it. If you're having a problem with different parts of it, that's why it's important to get in a DNA group or another small group or something like that and ask people questions. Bumps thing, things off them. Ask them what Scripture they might have to encourage you with. Push them in that means. 
if we're all true followers of Christ, then we're all going in this to, to help learn something, to get something out of it, so we could do what? Understand God more so that we can have a greater faith in Him, maybe, and so that we can walk a better walk with Him, more closely with Him, and better knowledge of Him. So if we have those things in there, wouldn't be we willing then to share them with others? I mean, if we think about it in terms of sense of how we're walking through life, there's so much that we focus on being evangelical. And some people think of evangelism in a sense of sharing with other believers, or they think of it as sharing with unbelievers. When the two are very similar, it's just one uh, should be more attuned to what you're saying, and the other may not be so attuned and know exactly what you're talking about. See, if we're, we're sharing our faith with believers, that should be the encouragement to them. It should give them great strength to put their faith in God. Whereas those that don't even know God, don't even know the gospel, that should still put a little bit in their ear for them to understand why do we have this faith? Why do we walk this way? Why do we talk this way? Why do we keep going through these things and not dive into the, the negative attitude? So if we see Christ's suffering as a pathway to exaltation, uh, we also will see how Christ is glorified in heaven. Now in verse 22, it kind of says this more plainly, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with the angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So the suffering of Christ was a pathway for his exaltation. So he died on the cross for our sins, rose again, ascended into heaven, is now seated at the right hand of God. Because Christ died for our sins, he is now at the right hand of God. So if we look at what does that mean for us, then the greatest problem that I have is now no more. So all these other things should seem so much smaller. If I focus on the big picture, what does all this mean for me? What does all of Scripture mean for Dave's life? What does it mean for your life? It's about your relationship with God and what do we do with it. So now if I have a relationship with God, what do I do with it if I'm following that same pathway? We get into that more in the coming verses uh, and other weeks. Not we, you guys will. I'll be back at refuge after vacations. But uh, we see this as an example, the pathway we can walk. So in the first thing, do we need to admit that we are going to encounter things that are going to be struggles for us? If you really expect heaven now, I hate to let you down. It's not now. But also, as one mentor once told me is, at least when you look at this present state, you can admit this is not your heaven. To some people who will never know Christ, this is their best taste of heaven. See, that flips the perspective a little bit. When this is the worst taste of hell I'll ever get, okay, if you understand the grand narrative. So if I could just go ahead and accept that, that it's going to come, these struggles are going to come, and I'm going to see them, then okay, we got nowhere up but here. We're going to go through struggles. We're going to deal with these things, but do we, just, do we follow that pathway so that God may be glorified? Or do we sit here and wellow like it's supposed to be our best life? That's not it. Focus on what Christ did, not on what we want. And that's why he gets into the later passages where you're following humble leaders, leaders that lay down their lives for others. 
leaders that will listen and, and talk to you about those things and try to encourage you on this pathway so that you could glorify Christ and get over those, work through those struggles. I'm not necessarily saying get over it. Come on, get over it. No, work through those struggles. Sometimes struggles are real. They're very heartfelt. They're very difficult to get through. But our attachment to it is fleshly. And if we have humble leaders that direct us to encouraging the Spirit and giving us promises from God's Word, then that should help us remove from that suffering, from seeing it that way. Suffering is in a sense of we have no hope, but that we now have hope. We now have faith that this will endure. It all boils down to how we approach this pathway. Christ walked it. Do we feel like we could follow that example? I'm not walking the exact same pathway because we got to remember back at the very beginning in verse 18, it was the righteous for the unrighteous. And so I'm kind of following the leader wherever he may go. Uh, just kidding, but it is. Uh, so I'm following Christ and what he did. That's why we're called Christians. We're followers of Christ. So are we truly following Christ and what he did? Or are we just sitting there stagnant and just focusing on ourselves? Why do you think there's so much, uh, when you, take the time sometimes if you haven't, read through the Bible in a year and focus, just take time to maybe get some things, ask some people close to you, maybe some people, especially those that have read through the whole Bible, uh, ask them what type of things you might want to look for. And there was one pastor that told me, Dave, you need to look for humility and patience. And I was like, okay, I'm afraid to ask why. And I was always concerned with being right and making sure others knew it. And then I had patience for people that didn't know it. And so as I walk, went through, I'm like, wow, it's all over. Talk about humility and patience. And when you see it throughout the whole scripture, you kind of struggle to then, when people say you're a very prideful person, I'm like, oh, really, I am? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Because I know in scripture it calls me to be a humble person. But we, we see examples here and there, and th these are the ones we attach to, and we'll find justification for the way we act, is we'll say, well, uh, Jesus uh, said stuff to the Pharisees like they're brood of vipers. Yeah, he's also Jesus too, and he understood more than what you're saying. It's not a means to which you can be prideful. Will you toss tables at the temple? Well, yeah, it doesn't mean you can just go toss wherever you want to. So we need to look through Scripture and make sure we understand it. That way we can understand how to navigate through these things. Because we don't understand how to navigate them, then what hope do we have of doing these things for God's glory? Christ fully understood what he was doing when he came down and he stepped into ministry at age 30 and then spent three years going out around and sharing about his father. He knew he was going out there proclaiming the good news to him. And then he knew that he would one day die on the cross. He knew that because he knew the Old Testament. He even said it numerous times, but the disciples just didn't get it until all of a sudden it's, it's starting to happen. And then it happens, and they struggle with it, and Christ is like, it's okay, it's okay. And then he comes back, and they're like, oh, no, we get it. And some people say it was because the Spirit came upon them. If you read Acts, it's in there. Uh, but so many people want to just focus on little things instead of focusing on what Christ did. He went through suffering, he persevered, and is now sitting at the right hand of God. Do we focus on, the, on a similar thing? Are we 
just wrapped up in this part. Chapter 4 is definitely going to get into this more of this, the personal part. That's why I don't want to do it too much. But we need to at least follow this path or see this as a path for God's glory to come out. So when we're facing difficult situations, people are paying attention. They are taking notice. As a teacher in an inner city school, and some people would say, why do you do this? I do it for accountability reasons. On day one, my students know that I've been a teacher for now. They'll know I was a teacher for 11 years, and I am a bivocational pastor at a church. Why would I do that? It's not to boast. It's to hold me accountable so that they hopefully can see my heart in that, that through these things, these difficult situations that come out, it's not me coming down on them. It's me trying to be loving to them. Not me saying, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't be throwing that pencil across the room. I mean, in my mind, I'm thinking that's obvious. But, you know, well, they annoyed me. doesn't matter. But trying to help them through that and see why disciplinary measures were necessary and things like that. Parents, come on, we get that too. We're a parent. We discipline our child, and our child sometimes doesn't like it, right? Do they really understand your true heart? Now, there's some parents out there, yeah, they need to get their bearings right. But do you really think that your parent's heart is only focused on themselves? Or do you think it's focused on helping you get on this right path? So many times as a, as a father, we can focus on the things that we have to deal with. Now, when we go on vacation, sometimes people are like, was it fun? And I'm like, mm, kind of. Because so many times I'm focused on, is the car going to be fine? Are we going to get back home? Uh, we're getting low on gas. Is there another gas station? Because we're about to go across the top of New York City, and sometimes those gas stations are a little spread out. And a little bit more expensive here, less there. So when's the best spot to start? No, I know. I'm a worrier. But then we also get there, and then it's like trying to do things that my wife wants to do, that the kids want to do, and things like that. So I'm trying to run around and do those types of things. And sometimes I can get caught up in that and lose where that can be fun for me too. Because as a father, sometimes isn't it kind of helpful to look back at that and go, God gave me the strength to make that happen. Sound like a path? Or I can sit there and let it get, the, get to me, look right here at Dave and say, they had fun. Focused on myself, or am I focused on God's glory? Those things get a total different perspective when we're focused on God's glory. One person asked me what was the thing I most loved about Aruba, and I said <laughs> that the riddle car went back without any dent in it. <laughs> I'm being honest there. <laughs> I was worried we dented because we didn't get their insurance. We had a secondary insurance. They were like, well, you'd have to pay it and then go see them. I'm like, I don't want to deal with that. So to be able to return it without a dent in, yay. But then they're like, well, did you see other parts? It's fun too. And so, yes, I did. And so there's so many different times where we got to see this pathway. We've got to be willing to walk it. You've got to be willing to recognize when we're off that. And if we don't understand these things, we're not going to understand what's happening in our small groups, in our DNA groups, or any other groups of Christians that we get around. We're not going to understand what they might be trying to do if they're having a God-given perspective of, of trying to live for His glory. So we need to recognize this path it's so easy for me to know when I was a kid how to walk to elementary school. It was two-tenths of a mile away. 
After a while, I got to where I could pretty much walk it with a blindfold on almost. When you hit a certain curb, you know, you cross the street and you go over here and you go straight. But so many times, we'll act like it's a total new pathway. There's sin at work around us. It's going to impact us. There is even sin still within me that I don't like. Yeah, my biggest problem is myself, my own sin that still is there that I still am working on getting over. And so I need to still know that's going to happen and not be, really? No, I'm expecting it. Come on, as a teacher in the inner city, do I really expect to get 100% on grade level? No. Wake up to what reality is. You're going to have a lot that are below grade level, and you're going to have to deal with it, right? So I can either wellow about that, or I can find a way to overcome that. Some way, as a teacher, I've always raised my students' scores. Yay. But that's only with God's strength to get through it. Otherwise, I'd be focused in over here pity that I've been teaching 20 percentile for now four years. Can I get a group in the 30s? But yet, when they leave me, they are in the 30s. And so, so many times, there's teachers that focus on that. How many people you know where you work or where you interact with people? Even stay-at-home moms, you go get around other moms. How many moms focus on just the, the struggle of the kids and not how God's grace is at work? How can God be glorified in that? It's so easy for us to get off the path instead of get back on it and continue walking forward. So as we see this, we need to recognize that we have no need to fear suffering for we share the same destiny as our Lord. So we see that our same destiny is, no, not at the right hand of the Father, but our same destiny is together in heaven, and sin will be no more, then all these struggles and things we go through, so, I get it. They're struggles, they're real. I'm not trying to minimize them. But do you understand what it's really getting at? We already know where we're going to end up, okay? Gives us so we can enjoy this now. If I knew, tell the future, you're going to get that rental car back without a dent in it, would I have been more relaxed throughout the whole thing? Certainly. But I didn't, so I worried about it. So do we put our faith, do we really trust that we're going to end up at the same destiny as Christ in heaven, that this sin will be no more? Because if we don't fully believe that, then that makes this path a whole lot harder for us to follow. So sometimes we need to stop, we need to think, we need to check ourselves. Do we really believe this? Do we need to go back to 1 Peter and remind ourselves of the gospel? Do we need to sit there and look at how different people have put their faith in the gospel to persevere? Do we need to look at the examples set before us by so many other uh, people in history? Sometimes we need to pick up an autobiography or a biography of a saint that's passed away so we can see some of the things they struggled through too. And so that we can see how in this suffering that they were in, in prison for God's glory, they could still walk this path to glorify God in it. If someone's not come to mind, you might need to ask a pastor on what would be a good biography for me to read then? There's several out there. Some of them are short, some of them are long. Depends on how much of you like to read those. But any mistreatment we receive will bring us blessing because it is undeserved. See, that gets me to think back as I'm looking through this pathway and back when I first married my wife and I was without a job and people were hurling all kinds of different perspectives on my personality that I was just trying to live off her money and everything else. 
Was that deserved or undeserved? Now, as they get to know my heart and see those things, will they see that as something I didn't deserve? Do they see the grace that was at work at that? They'll have to answer to God for their own perspectives and how they came at people, their own way of being harsh towards others. If we look at all of Scripture, we are held accountable for the things we did. So much more for your leaders. That's why sometimes if people are, if I'm like, if anybody (laughs) ever doesn't see me as a qualified elder, sure, I'll step aside. Sometimes I don't like that fact that I'm held to a higher standard. (laughs) Sometimes it's scary because I know I'm every bit as sinful as somebody else. It's just for some reason the way I live my life, it's an encouragement, I guess, to other people to walk that path to glorify God. But I'm definitely not short of my own shortfalls. We all struggle. We all fall short. But do we see the heart of the person? So many times within the church, we, we hurl insults at other people, and we don't realize we're getting at maybe the, the sin that resides in them that they don't even like too. So it's like when someone says, uh, Dave, I think you're a little prideful there. Oh, really? How was that? How'd that come out? Let's, let's fix that. Because that part... I don't like either. But how many times when we approach others about the sin we see in their life, do we just sit there and want to get at them? When yet, if you're talking to a believer, they don't even like that too, if they're attuned to it. So we got to look at it as, how can I talk to this person that I see struggling in sin that can be an encouragement to them? Not push them down in their own suffering that they're having with dealing with that sin that still is there that they don't even like, but how can I then encourage them? So as we move forward to these other sections, be thinking about those things. How do I need to work on these things and how I approach suffering so that I could focus on God's glory? And how can I respond to other people's sin to help them in a direction and a pathway that leads to God's glory? That's the part that comes next. And so as the band comes up, Think about those things as how am I approaching suffering and how am I trying to help others counteract their suffering? Let us pray. God, I pray that we would remember that your ways are higher, that your ways are higher than ours and we need grace to suffer well. Like Christ, uh, in a way that brings glory and honor to you. May we see Christ as a willing servant that laid down his life, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he went down and proclaimed uh, to the, the spirits that were against your father that they are not going to succeed. They are going to lose and that they have no authority over the people that put their faith in your son. They can do nothing to me. They can only come maybe around and and get me to try and get consumed by my own suffering. But may I see the example as your son as a great encouragement to, to be on the pathway, much like to him, to exaltation, that I would live a life that would bring you glory. And that as I attempt to do that, that people would recognize that, yes, I'm still sinful. 
I'm still going to show how I fell short of your glory and needed your son. May we respond kindly to people when we see that. May we try to calmly find a way that we can encourage one another to turn back to walking this pathway to living for your glory. I thank you for this time that we could have together this morning. May we continue worshiping you and keeping our sights on your glory. Amen.